0: You may be seated. Well, friends, thank you so much for gathering here tonight. Uh, thanks for bringing the church into this sanctuary. If you're gathered for our online Ash Wednesday uh, service, thank you for inviting the church into those spaces. Um, my name is Jamie. It's my joy and privilege to be one of the pastors here at Cross Point. It's a joy to be participating in this service with you that that begins this Lenten season and so perhaps for some of you this is very familiar territory for others this might be like what are we doing here on a Wednesday night and what's with this Valentine's edition of Ash Wednesday right so uh thank you all seriously so much for being here my hope is to give some explanation over the next few minutes of why we do this um This isn't something that is mandated by scripture. I don't have a verse that says, thou shall have an Ash Wednesday service. Um, Similar that we don't have that about Advent or any of the other things in the church calendar, but there's some real opportunity that is here. And Ash Wednesday really is this invitation. It it, it causes us to consider things that I think if we're honest, we just don't like to consider. Um, That there's a, a real sense too, as we consider the reality of death, um, I, I read an author this week and she spoke of the reality that like just death makes her furious and that that's a anyway, that's a right response. It was never part of God's original plan like it it represents all that is broken and yet this reality of our own mortality, the reality of the brokenness and the, the sin that's still present in this world it's not to fixate on that but but it is an invitation to consider these matters so that we might, have a a deeper longing for all that Holy Week and Easter Sunday represents. And so the hope here tonight is this is really this kickoff into just this posture of just increased devotion and worship and joy and following Jesus in this season. There's a song I've been uh, listening to on repeat um, and uh, Lauren doesn't know this, but I'm gonna sing it. I'm just kidding. Um, I'm not going to to sing this. I don't even know how to pronounce the, the guy's last name. So his first name's Mark. I can pronounce that. So we'll go with that, right? Um, but it's this, this, little, uh, this little song. I want to put the lyrics of the first op- the opening lines up here, um, but he's contemplating. And I don't know if this man to be a man of faith uh, or not, um, but he is somebody that's considering the realities of like, oh, like this life does come to an end. And he says this, he says, I've been thinking about dying and how that's gonna be. My skin and bones give up the ghost. And I finally feel my fragile soul and all I am falls into mystery." And he says, I've been thinking about after and all the folks I wanna see. My neighbor says that this is it. My daughter says we'll live again. And most of the time I'm somewhere in between and that space that he knows as this in between or the some the neighbor that says no this is all there is we get the beautiful opportunity to dive into the scriptures for moments and no no this isn't all there is There is a very real problem in the world. There is sin and there's death, but Jesus has come to conquer that. And so we don't enter into this season with just this overwhelming sense of grief, but there is an invitation to consider these matters so that it might spur us on to experience what God has for us. And so I just ask you to consider this, like how often do you ponder the reality that you're going to die? We're going to die. Unless Jesus returned during our life, like th- those things, and I get that that's not always something that we're like, yeah, I wake up every day and I just think about death, right? Like I get that or maybe listening to that that song, it's like, yeah, you know, maybe it's a little bit weird that I've been playing that on repeat in my car lately. Uh, but there, it's kind of rare though that we would consider these things, but there's an invitation here. And beyond pondering it, I think a more helpful question would even be, as you consider it, like, will you and I, will we actually die well? What does that actually entail? I love the words of David Gibson in his book, Living Life Backward. He says this, to die well means that you realize death is the limit that God has placed on creatures who want to be gods. To die well means I realize death is not simply something that happens to me. It happens to me because I am a sinner. To die well means I realize that every time I see a coffin, it preaches to me that the world is broken and fallen and under the curse of death, and I am a part of it. To die well means realizing that from the day I was born and lived under the sentence, I have I lived under the sentence of death. To die well means everything I have in this world, I hold with open hands because I love Jesus more than anything and anyone else. And I am happy to go home with him. And so let's consider these matters for a moment of what does it look like to consider the fact that, Hey, this is temporal. There's an fleeting nature to this world. And so to talk about this, we're going to come up in a moment. And if you are inclined to participate, ashes will be put on your forehead in the shape of, of a cross and words will be spoken. Remember that you are dust and to dust you will return. And so to help us prepare for that time, I wanna talk briefly just about what does this substance represent, the significance of the shape, and what is this overall season and how can we participate? And so as we think about this for a moment, the substance, traditionally, Churches would take palm fronds from the Palm Sunday the year prior, and after using those to celebrate the triumphal entry of Christ, those palm fronds would be burned. And the ashes from that would be gathered and held over to use on Ash Wednesday. And so last year during Palm Sunday, we burned the plastic palm fronds that the kids were, no, we didn't. We did order ashes on Amazon. You can get them there. Truth be told, so I don't have the ancient historic, but, but we do have a substance here tonight. And it is something that represents what is broken. It, the, the ashes, I mean, in the, you read to the Old Testament scriptures and when there's times of grief and of sorrow and lament and, and a recognition that this world is, is, it's cracked and it's fractured. And I, and I, I just like, I'm overwhelmed with it. There'd be oftentimes like a, a rending, a tearing of garments and ash would be put on the head. And it was just this way of saying like, I have just been brought low. There's this brokenness. it's a recognition that there's a world out there that is broken, but there's also my world. My heart is wrecked because of sin. And so it's not just out there, but it's in here and these ashes are helping us remember our brokenness and our need of Christ. We see all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve they reach for the fruit and they fail to believe the promises of God. And they think God somehow is holding out on them. And God pronounces curses upon the serpent and upon the woman and upon the man. We get these words in Genesis three nineteen. This is what your world is going to be like. He turns to Adam and he says, by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground for out of it you were taken for you are dust and to dust you shall return. So, it speaks of this death, this decay, this returning to dust that was never part of the original design. And so, we will be marked with that substance. But friends, we are not marked with that substance just with a line across the forehead. We are marked with the horizontal line and the vertical line forming the shape of the cross. The cross that that Those ashes, yes, representing our weakness and everything, but also reminding us of the story that we're part of, that Jesus stepped in, that Jesus emptied himself, that Jesus took on flesh and blood, that Jesus was made weak and incredibly vulnerable, his vulnerability on display on a cross, as he is stripped naked, that the possessions, the only things he had were his clothes, And men gambled for them to have possession of those things. People mocked him, reviled him. He'd been spit upon, he was taunted, he was flogged. And he's ultimately nailed to this cross. And so when we mark the foreheads, it's a reminder of our frailty and our brokenness, but it's also a beautiful reminder of what Jesus has accomplished. I love the way that Esau Macaulay in his book on Lent speaks of this. He says, but if the ashes of Ash Wednesday point us toward the link between sin and death and rebellion, they also contain something else, something more important than everything we have seen thus far. The ashes are in the shape of the cross and the cross carries within it an entire story and the foundation of human hope. It is the story of loss and gain, of the incarnation of the truly, good one, his glorious life and triumphant defeat of death. The ashes are not just a reminder of our great failure. They remind us of God's victory over sin and death through the life, the death and the resurrection of his son. And so it is a humble thing to come forward And to have the ashes put and be reminded of our frailty. But it is a glorious thing as well because we celebrate what we could not do on our own. Christ has done for us. As Paul would write in Colossians chapter two, 13 to 15, tells us of our state. Like this is what the ashes represent. You who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God then made alive together with him. We're in this whole new reality because of Jesus having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Do you realize that? Everything that would cry out, you're guilty, I'm guilty, every single sin we have ever committed, it is telling us like there's a record of that. God forgets nothing so that it all could be put on his son, Jesus, so that there wouldn't be anything that he would think, oh, we forgot to cover that. It says, so by canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And friends, what happened in that moment there, what Jesus was doing was he was giving the enemy, the devil, an opportunity for just a fleeting moment to think, aha, I've won, is what the devil would have thought. But in reality, what was happening on the cross is that he disarmed the rulers and authorities and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So there are ashes. And it is a substance to remind us of the fleeting nature of this life where we're like a mist of vapors, the writer of Ecclesiastes tells us. But friends, it's in the shape of a cross. As we remember that Jesus has defeated Satan, sin, and death, he has defeated the final enemy. And as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, oh death, where is your sting? And right now we feel the sting of that. Like if you've been to a funeral service lately, like you would know that, right? Like, oh, that's the, the sting is still here present, but we know that one day there will be no more sting because there's this ultimate victory. I love the way Paul says this in First Corinthians, another portion of First Corinthians 15, and look what he does with the language of this reminder that we're dust, but what God is going to do with this substance. It says, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. We're perishable, we're dust. We return to dust. But what is raised, my friends, is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor and it is raised in glory. Hear him speaking to you right now that this, death does not have the final say, this is what is most true about you and me if you're in Christ. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body and it is raised a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. And thus it is written, the first Adam became a living being. And the last Adam became a life giving spirit. But Paul's not done yet. He just keeps building word after word, sentence after sentence, God's word to us here tonight. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man there we have it right of dust. The second man is from heaven as was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. And so the substance is real. We are men and women of the dust. But we one day will bear the image of the second Adam, who rose triumphantly over death. And we have been brought into that story. And so friends, as we think about this, as we get ready to come forward here in just a few moments, I want us to consider as well what this night represents in the the larger season, this time of Lent, which Ash Wednesday begins. And really what you have here it's this season focused on repentance, like a renewal, a getting us back to our first love. It's an opportunity for us as we journey towards Palm Sunday, Good Friday, and Easter to pay attention to what's going on in our hearts and our souls, What what's going on in our relationship with, with Christ. I wanna read you one more quote from Esau McCauley's book on Lent. And I love how he so beautifully talks about, hey, God in his kindness knows that we will be a people. We will drift, we will get distracted. We will find that at times we just don't have the the feelings of like this love and affection for the Lord that maybe we had at different times. And what a gift that he would use his church to bring a season onto the, the calendar so we can focus in on these very realities, he says this, we hope that as Christians, we hope that as Christians we mature and grow and become more and more like Christ. But the church in its wisdom assumes that we will fail. Even after our baptism, the church presumes that life is long and zeal fades, not just for some of us, but for all. So it has included within its life a season in which all of us can recapture our love for God and his kingdom, and to cast off those things that so easily entangle us. And so friends, consider this, not just tonight, but in the 40 days of this Lenten season. Where has some of the zeal faded? I mean, this is the place, to be honest. The Lord knows it. What would it look like to be honest with him tonight and the days ahead to consider these things? this invitation to repentance and renewal. We read of this in Joel chapter two, verses 12 to 13. Yet even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and with weeping and with mourning and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord, your God, for he is gracious and he is merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And he relents over disaster, the invitation of Lent is not like God is mad at you and you better get back on His right side before Easter. He's slow to anger; He is merciful. He is gracious. We live on the other side of the cross and the empty tomb, but there's still an acknowledgement of like, oh, I've I've given my affection to other things. John in his glorious book, the Book of Revelation, as he gets this vision of Jesus and these, he calls out. Some of the churches, he speaks to the church in Ephesus. And he says, I know your works. Jesus really says this to them. Your toil, your patient endurance. Like this is a great resume for a church, right? You're toiling, you're working hard. Patient endurance, how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. Like you got good doctrine, right teaching, all that stuff. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake and you have not grown weary. It's like way to go. And then verse four, but I do have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. So remember therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works that you did at first. What would it look like for us to enter in, to recapture, asking the spirit, move in such a way, remind me of how glorious Jesus is. Help me wrestle honestly with the things that get in the way so I might see and appreciate him for the the. the like who he is, the savior to be worshiped, would recapture our first love. The writer of Hebrews similarly speaks, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking not to self, is not a invitation for the next 40 days to get focused on yourself, right? Let us run with endurance the race, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated right now at the right hand of the throne of God. So consider these things, not only tonight, but in the days ahead. What sin, what is it maybe that's clinging to you? This is a season the Lord's inviting you. He's saying, come. God in His kindness leads us in repentance so you might experience more joy. So what sin is clinging to? What needs to be thrown off? What good thing maybe do you have an over-desire for? Let's get real practical, right? Like food is a good gift, but is there an over-desire for it? Alcohol can be a good gift, but is there an over-desire for it? Technology can be a good gift, but is there an over-desire for our phone? Is that discipling us more than Jesus is? I'm for sports. I'm for watching the sports. But is there an over-desire for those things? Right? Is there an over-desire just to be entertained, to just check out? Like, there's all sorts of things that are are good gifts from the Lord, but we might have an over-desire for. Consider, where are your loves disordered? just a few diagnostic questions, just to to wrestle with this stuff. This is you and the Lord like wrestling through this and you can bring this to, to community as well and wrestle through this together. Maybe think through what thing has an excessive hold on your time and your attention. There's lots of things that have to have a hold of our time and attention, but where is it drifted into excessive? So friends, the invitation here is in light of this, what would it look like for us to fast together? In our own unique and different ways, but to consider what is the Lord inviting me into so that I might recapture that first love? What are the things that you find that are distracting you? There's not an obligation to do this. The Lord will not love you more at the end of the 40 days of Lent because you, you know, gave up pizza, right? But the Lord just might work in those spaces where you're intentionally more aware of your heart's desires, repenting of the ways that you and I become so easily distracted with lesser things, thinking these things will satisfy. Imagine what God might want to do over these next several weeks together. As we throw off those things to the power of the spirit, that are clinging to us. Like, ah, like, what does this thing cling? Like, let's get rid of some of those things. Not because they're necessarily bad in it themselves, but they're terrible gods. So we'll close with this, this image, this wonderful quote from C.S. Lewis, who just says, friends, the Lord is doing something collectively, but also individually, if you're in Christ. And he's preparing a home for himself And let Lent be this time where you say, Jesus, come in and just do a work of remodeling in my heart. There might be things that have to be torn down. There might need to be some things that are thrown out. There might need to be a wall put up here, things like, and it might be painful and messy, but God is going to create something beautiful. So imagine yourself as a living house, Lewis says. God comes in to rebuild that house. And at first, perhaps you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right and he's stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing. And so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? And the explanation is that he's building quite a different house from the one you thought of throwing up a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace and he attends to come and live in it himself. Let's pray that the Lord works in a way that he does a work of remodeling in your heart and in my heart and collectively together.